we come tonight, it's really a special night for us. We've never done a Christmas Eve service. I've always wanted to, but we've never, never uh, been able to before. It just hasn't happened. Um, so really, this is kind of a special night. But along with that, we close out our series that we've been in, um, Redeeming Christmas. And as we begin tonight, I want to highlight some of the central ideas that we've dealt with along the way, uh, just to help people who haven't been here all the way through the series and just to highlight and give us some foundation for what we've been talking about thus far. We've been in this now for three weeks. This will be our fourth week. Um, I just want you guys to have it all fresh in your mind. What you may not realize is that we have been loosely following an Advent schedule. For some of you, that tradition of Advent, you're very familiar with it. In fact, I'm, I didn't go in order, and so you'll just have to bear with me if you are an Advent person. I didn't follow the, the correct order, but that's just the way it worked out. So you can talk to me about that afterwards, and I'll tell you it's, it's really okay. We're going to survive. Jesus is going to come back, and it's all going to work out. Uh, but anyway, that's kind of what we were doing. And each one of the weeks that we came, the topic that we dealt, dealt with, the threads, the, the, the themes of Advent were threaded through that. Um, for example, three weeks ago, in the first week we came, and, and the theme of hope was threaded all the way through the message as we considered the promise, the promise that God had made. And, and these candles, we, we've had them lit every week, and each, each week a, a candle represents something. And so the, the hope that we gain from the promise that God made to David when he told David thousands of years before, before anyone could have expected or known exactly how it was going to work out, he tells David, I'm going to put a king on your throne forever. And that's a long time. We know that's, that, that, that is an unimaginable thing for us, forever. We can kind of consider it and we can kind of think about it. But, but this idea that, that a, a, a person would come that would sit on the throne and would reign forever was was mind-boggling, but it's that promise that, see, our God is a promise-making God and a promise-keeping God, and we can all make promises, but the God that we know, when he says he's going to do something, he does it. He follows through, and that gives us a, a hope, but it's not a hope like wishful thinking. It's not a hope in the sense that, that man, I, I, I hope this, this comes to pass, and it's based on some, some frail or, or meaningless idea or, or based on some human perspective. This is the Creator God who put things together in, 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 in a miraculous way, and He holds the creation in His hands and keeps it, keeps it going and, and makes sure that, that even the birds of the field have something to eat. I, I mean, He provides and protects, and, and this God, this God made a promise that one would come. And that one that came would be a king that would rule forever. That promise gives us hope, a confident expectation. A confident expectation that what He said He would do, He will do. Then two weeks ago, we talked about the preparation. I, I want to point out, because I, I worked a long time on this, the alliteration, even through the titles. The promise, the preparation. Are you with me? You seeing this? Okay, good deal. Just making sure you're following along. The preparation. God has been working for a long, long time. He has put a lot of effort into the event of Jesus Christ coming to earth. 
In fact, the Scripture tells us, we, we saw, the Scripture told us that Jesus knew before the foundation of the world, before the, before the first second ticked off the clock, before the first beam of light began to shine, Jesus knew that He was coming to earth. And then when mankind rebelled against God and sinned and fell under the curse, God began working immediately. Extending grace immediately and beginning the work of redemption, redeeming a people to himself and restoration, making all things new. This preparation demonstrates to us just how important that this work that God is doing is to him. He didn't go to all this effort just because it's a hobby. This is His work to do. And that preparation, that preparation should fill us with a sense of joy. I'm not talking about happiness that's based on some circumstance. But on the hope that we have in the promise, we should find satisfaction in our hearts. You see, the things that we face on a day-to-day basis in this life, the, the, the curse that we live under, they are always going to have us in a place where we are longing for more. We will never be satisfied with what this world has to offer. But the preparation that God has been working from and, and what He is preparing for in the future is a time that we will be fully satisfied. And that those who come in, in faith and trust in Christ as Lord and Savior they will not be disappointed. And they will know the fullness of God's joy. That's the second candle. The second celebration, the second theme that we celebrated of Advent. And then last week we began to talk about the proclamation that had been made. The proclamation that a baby had been born, but that he was no mere normal, he wasn't just a miracle baby. I saw in the news just the other day, there's a miracle baby born. He's, he's got two heads and two spinal cords and two brains. I mean, he's, he's Siamese twins with one body. I mean, essentially everything is shared except for his, his, his head and brain and, and spinal cord. And he's living and eating. They are living and eating. That's a, that's, that's, that's a miracle that that can happen. And they're both healthy and surviving. He's no, not, not just a miracle baby. He's not just a baby who, whose birth had been announced by angels. I mean, I feel like my birthday was a pretty special day in my parents' life. I, I feel pretty, pretty sure that they thought that everything they had ever wanted came to be when I was born. I'm sure of it. Ask them. They're here. You can, they'll tell you. I'm sure they will. But I have no doubt that my birth, it, it, it didn't even come close to raiding an angel's herald. You see, this proclamation that was made, we saw it in John, was that this baby that was born, he was special, but he was so much more than just a special baby. He was God in flesh. And when He came, in His coming, in Christ's coming and putting on flesh and dwelling among us, it tells us in John that we have the opportunity to become children of God. 
We saw that last week and recognized that we aren't just seeing some God that is distant and far, but the Creator, the powerful, ever-present, all-powerful, eternal Creator of all things says, you can call me Daddy. You see, in Christ, because Jesus came from there and came here, in Christ we can have and experience peace with God. And that's the third theme of Advent that we celebrated. Peace with God. Hope. A real, lasting, living hope. A confident expectation. An abiding joy. A sense of satisfaction that bubbles up from our hearts because we see God at His work and completing His work a sense of peace in our life. And in fact, the Bible calls God's peace a peace that surpasses understanding. Because it's not tied to the circumstances of life. Yes, we are going to struggle. And, and, and there is going to be strife. And there is going to be problems. That's clear. But in the midst of it all, in Christ, because Jesus came here, we can have peace. That's, that's been the themes this week. The idea of Advent is remembering that in Christ's coming, these are made available. But we don't just remember what was. We also look forward to what will be. Jesus came, and He's coming again. He's going to return. And this hope will give way. It, we won't have to hope anymore because we will have it in front of us. We will have Him. Our joy will be full. Our peace will never be shaken. This week as we redeem Christmas and we consider what it is to, to think of these themes and to, to, to make these themes central in our celebration at this season, as we strive to redeem Christmas, we're going to consider the presentation of the Christ. You never can tell, kid. Tell me, Michael, what do you want for Christmas? <clears throat> this is not the typical way I introduce sermons. I have used this every week as we've introduced these Christmas messages, this, these videos from Elf, simply to kind of help show us really kind of how over the top we get, how, how crazy we get about this season and, and how big a deal we make about this season and how much hope and, and how much joy we long to gain from this season. But that really, it's without power. I mean, we've, we've laughed at some of the things that Buddy the Elf did along the way. We've seen how his, his proclamation that he was this man's son moved that guy and it, it changed his life and we, we've seen some funny stuff but tonight I think the thing I would like you to see in this video is consider consider what it is to have a holiday that depends so much on us for its success what would happen what would have happened had Santa not found people to believe in him if Christmas spirit hadn't come back, if, if they hadn't started singing in the park, if, 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 but if, if the boy hadn't brought the book and began to talk about all of the things in Santa's book, Santa would have been powerless. He would have been stranded. 
But we want so desperately to create something that depends on us. I'm not asking you as in, in these series, in this series of redeeming Christmas and striving to bring it back to the central theme of Jesus Christ. I'm not asking you to ignore all of the traditions and and and, and not take part in, in the in the celebration that we that we have that centers itself on that on this day of December 25th. I'm not, I'm not asking you to forget it. I just want you to see. I don't know that I, I just don't know that that by itself is a Christmas worth celebrating. You see, Santa is so dependent on us, a failing people. He's powerless to complete the task that he'd set out to do by himself. He depends on us. He exists as a, as a result of us. He's our creation. But on the other hand, in the presentation of Jesus Christ, in the presentation of the Christ, we find a, we find a Christmas that is far superior Jesus exists not by us, but we by Him. Remember last week, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. There was nothing that was created apart from Him. Jesus does not depend on us. Our faith adds nothing to Him. He needs us in no way. But we certainly need Him. In fact, our faith needs Him. It needs, it, it needs Him to be the object, to be the central theme of what we believe and trust. Because He's the one with power. He's the one with a will. He's the one that's made, able to make things happen. Jesus' power is not predicated on how we feel about Him. He's not going to break down in a park. His sleigh is not going... To not be able to fly. Jesus the Christ, our Savior and Lord. See, He came that we might know and follow Him. And for me, as I've come and grown in my life, and this is not always the way it's been, but for me, this is the holiday I want to celebrate. This is the event that I want to remember. This, this is what I think proves worthy of remembering that He came, that we might know Him and follow Him. And so I'm thankful. I am thankful that God, through Luke and other men, recorded the events of His work. If you've got your Bible, we're actually going to read from Luke. The words will be on the screen if you don't. But I'm thankful that we can remember and read and hear repeatedly over and over and over because our attention spans are short. That God came. And He was born to a young lady named Mary. An event that seems mind-boggling and, and is hard to explain. But He put on flesh and He dwelt among us. And on this fateful, special holy night. A miracle happened. We're going to start reading in verse 6. We're not going to read the whole story. 
So much has already happened. Mary has been approached by an angel. She's seen an angel and he's told her, you're going to have a baby. And she said, I've never been with anybody. And he says, that's okay. God's going to take care of that. Joseph finds out she's pregnant. They're engaged. He's going to put her away. He doesn't want to marry her. He doesn't want to deal with that shame. And the angel, an angel appears to him and says, no, Joseph, this is a special baby. You need to marry her. There's a census that sends them packing and sends them to Bethlehem to, to be counted. And they get there. There's no place for them. And they end up in a stable. And that's where we pick up. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. The shepherds and the angels, or I'm sorry, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all, all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. You see, I think as we read this, as Luke's recording shows us, I, I think that we can see in this that this is a far superior Christmas to celebrate. A far superior event to remember. Christ's Christmas is superior because of its motivation. Now immediately in this passage, you're, you're going to say, well, I don't really hear any motivation. I don't, I don't hear anything that's behind it in this passage. But, but you can't help to come to a passage like this and wonder why. Why would Jesus come? Why would He come as a baby? Why would He humble Himself this way? Why would He leave the glory of heaven to come live here? Why would a father who loves his son perfectly, why would a father who has perfect union and relationship and intimacy with a son, why would he send him here? I, I, I can't imagine reading this passage without wanting to know why. Well, Luke doesn't really tell us here. He doesn't give us that much, but the Bible doesn't leave us hanging. In fact, 1 John 4, 9 says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. You see, in this event, in this, in this Christmas event, in this baby being born, God's love is made manifest. It's given a physical representation. It's given legs so that we can see it 
so, so that it moves around us and among us. His active and, and, and willful love, it's not based on some fleeting emotion. It's not some romantic sense that I just feel so good about these people. I want to be near them. No, this great and amazing agape love is a sacrificial act done in our best interest. You see, that's what God's love is all about. It's not simply some romantic feeling like we would call it. Oh, I love you so much. Oh, no, I love you. No, I love you. It's not, it's not the love that the poets wrote, wrote about. It is a, a willful choice to do something for us that we couldn't do for ourselves that wasn't based on what we wanted, but what we absolutely needed. You see, even when we're told of our need, Many times it's not what we want. But God loved us enough. He loved us enough that He gave of Himself. He sacrificed of Himself and did for us what we could never do on our own. As Santa's Christmas, it's, it's going to end. And it comes around every year. Every year it comes around. And, and, and it, it, it's, it's happening like this because it never satisfies us. And as long as the earth lasts, we're going to have to set up days like this where, where, we can, where we can serve ourselves and we can try to fill our hearts with something that makes us feel good and that takes our attention away from the troubles and the struggles. It's never going to satisfy. There's always going to be a bigger, better toy. Something else that we need. If, if I could just have that... I will be satisfied. If I could just have that, I will know God's love. If, if, if I could just have that, I will feel accepted. If I could just have that, I will have succeeded in my life. This Christmas, Christ's Christmas, is superior because it proves once and for all that God loved His people. That He is providing for His people. And this event, the incarnation, Jesus Christ putting on flesh and dwelling among us, it gives us a point of reference that we never have to doubt again. God did not stay distant. And He did it out of love. His great love motivated Him to send His Son. And that is our next theme of Advent. God's great love. And that, to me, demonstrates first why Christ's Christmas is so superior. But in addition, in addition, I think in this passage we see that, his, his, that Christ's Christmas is superior simply because of who He is. And see, this is exactly what the angel had come to the shepherds to tell them. I, I, I mean, we talk about this every time we talk about I, I talk about this every th time I think about angels appearing to people. 
But, but honestly, I mean, every time you come to a passage in the Bible where an angel appears to someone, they are scared silly. And so I've just decided that if an angel appears to me, I'm just going to go ahead and wet my pants right off the bat so that we get it out of the way. It's okay to be scared when an angel shows up because it's beyond our imagination for this to happen. But this angel appears to these, these shepherds who are out in the field and just imagine how dark it is. It's not like they got street lights. You know, they're not carrying around mag lights and, and headlamps checking on their sheep. Torches and fires, that's, that's it. And they're out here in the midst of this dark field. And boom, the, the, the skies light up, the glory of the Lord shines around them, and this angel is above them. And they are scared. Fear not, he says. Fear not, I bring you good news of great joy. But look at what he says that news is. For unto you, verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Christ, the Lord. You see, Jesus, as, as we've said over and over and over again, Jesus is not just some baby who's been born. He's not just some miracle. He's not just some sim simple baby that was uh, announced by the angels. Jesus is so much more. And that's what the angel's there to tell them. He's their Savior. Jesus is the Savior. This, this title, it signifies His mission. It signifies His purpose or His, his job description. Jesus, it's kind of like Jesus is the secret service guy who came to take a bullet for the president. He, he's the fireman that, who, who risks and gives his life rescuing people from burning buildings. You see, Jesus came to save. His people were doomed to experience the wrath of God. But He would provide refuge. He would provide salvation for that. He would provide a way out, a, a, a covering, so that we didn't feel it, so that we didn't experience it. Jesus is a Savior. Later in the Scriptures, as, a, as He speaks, as He's, he's, a, he's a, an adult and he's, he's in the midst of His ministry and He's teaching and He says to His disciples, He says to them that, he, that, that His followers are in His hand and that the people that believe in Him are in His Father's hand and that no one... Let me make sure you heard that. No one can snatch them out. It's John 10. No one can snatch them out of my hand. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Because Jesus is a Savior and His salvation is secure. His salvation is sure. It's certain. That's who He is. Jesus is not only Savior. Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah. You know, we come to this term and it doesn't mean a lot to us because we didn't grow up hearing about a Messiah that was to come. This was big for the Jews though. This was what every little child would have learned growing up. I mean, we, we bring kids to Sunday school and we teach them like Ten Commandments and, and all the little fun stories about the Bible. You know, I don't think there's a kid that goes through Sunday school that doesn't hear about Noah's Ark and it's made to be all pretty and, 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 and just peaceful and happy. It wasn't really that way. 
Well, we sure pitch it that way, and we want our kids to know these stories of the Bible, but, but that's not the stories necessarily that these Jews grew up hearing. I mean, sure they did. Sure they heard of the flood, and sure they heard of how God had worked through the prophets, but one thing you can be certain of, one thing you can be certain of is that every little Jewish child grew up hearing of one that would come. Because their people, their, their rabbis, their teachers, their, their, their clergy had been studying the Scriptures and had been waiting and proclaiming that a prophet would come. And proclaiming that a king would sit on a throne forever. You see, and that's Jesus. In fact, when John the Baptist, if you, if you think about John the Baptist who was born really to announce Jesus, when he was doing his ministry in the wilderness and, and he was baptizing thousands of people and the Jews came to him upset because so many people were coming to, to him and, and, and these, and these uh, Pharisees came to him and were questioning him, are you the one we've been expecting? Are you the prophet? Are you Elijah? Are you these things? And he would say, no, no, no. The one who is to come, I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals. You see, these Jews had been waiting. They had been waiting for the anointed one of God, the promised one of God. And Jesus being the Christ, it signifies his role. It signifies simply really what he's going to do to fulfill his mission. And excuse me, Jesus came. He comes and he fulfills the role of the prophet. He becomes the mouthpiece of God. And as Jesus speaks and as Jesus teaches, He's bringing prophecy. He's bringing God's truth. He's bringing God's Word and He is teaching it in grace. He's not only the prophet, but He was also the, the fulfillment of being a king. We saw that two, two, weeks, two, two, yeah, two weeks ago. Sorry. No, three weeks ago. We saw that three weeks ago as we considered David and we talked about it a little bit ago at the beginning of the message. We see Jesus in Matthew is the fulfillment of the one to come and be king. And if you read much of the New Testament, you'll see that the priesthood that lived in the day of Jesus had become corrupt, self-centered, self-righteous, uncaring. And Jesus came and fulfilled that role and became a priest for His people. He's the, he's, he's the prophet, the mouthpiece of God. He's the king, the rule of God, God's authority and rule in the world. And He is the priest, our liaison to God. That's what He came to fulfill. That's, that's what He came to do, to be the prophet, priest, and king that every Jew knew they needed. Their prophets had been quiet for hundreds of years. David's throne had been empty for even longer. And their priests were self-serving, self-righteous, corrupted people. Jesus Christ came to fulfill those promises. Not only did the angel tell us that Jesus is his Savior and that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah, but He also said that Jesus is Lord. This signifies His authority. It teaches us that, that Jesus really does have a right to say 
what goes, that he has every right to rule, that he has every right to be in charge. He would only submit to one. Jesus would only ever submit to one. That was his father. As he humbled himself and made himself a servant to men, it might look like he was submitting himself to people. But he never did it with them in mind. He was always making himself obedient to the Father. See, when Jesus came and, and stepped out of heaven and in some ways limited himself, I, I don't really know how that works, an infinite God in flesh bringing limitations upon himself. I, I, don't, I don't get it. I, I don't truly understand it. But, but that's what the Bible teaches us. You see, he's humbling himself. He's, he's submitting himself. And the Scriptures teach us that, that he submitted himself and he humbled himself even to the point of death. An eternal God who never had to die. Who never had to experience the, the pain and the suffering of this world. Who never had to experience the separation that He did in that time on the cross from His Father. He came and He died. But in that submission, it was always unto His Father. And in that moment, in that first coming, it's easy to say, well, well He submitted, He was obedient, he was, but, but where do we see Him rule? He taught with authority. He told His people how to come to Him. He taught about who God was. He showed the Father. He revealed the truth. He brought grace. This was His work. And when people rejected Him, He had the authority to let them go. Jesus came. He is Savior. He is the Christ, our prophet, priest, and king. And He is Lord. You know, it might seem ironic. In some ways, it might seem ironic to say that a, that a Christmas based on a baby, how could it be superior to one based on a man who seemingly has all kinds of crazy powers and magical powers? How could it be superior? After all, babies are the weakest and most dependable. Or, or most dependent, sorry. Yeah, they're dependable. They're de you can depend on them to wake you up at night and depend on you to, you can depend on them to need food about every three hours. They're, they're dependable, but they are dependent. How could it be that this is a superior Christmas? I think as we remember the birth, as we remember the birth, because it was a miracle in and of itself, we recognize that it is superior that our Savior, that our Christ, that our Lord came. I, I think that we, we looked at this last week also. I, I think that as we recognize that God put on flesh and dwelt among us, this being the incarnation, I, I think that we can see that this is superior. 
but it doesn't end there. That's not the end of it. You see, the birth of Jesus is meaningless without the sinless life and the sacrificial death and resurrection. All the angels in the world, I think, could proclaim of a baby's birth. And it wouldn't be worth remembering like the birth of our Christ. I, I, I don't think... I, I, I don't think that God would have come for any other reason or any other purpose. He's not just looking for something to do. But you separate this event from the life, the sinless life, the sacrificial death, and His resurrection, and I think that this day wouldn't be worth remembering. But because... This baby grew up to be a perfect and sinless man who humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, and that he's not dead today, but rose on the third day and rose into heaven and now sits at the right hand of the Father. See, Christmas, the Christmas celebration, Christ's Christmas is superior, not simply, not simply because of who He was, and not simply because of the motivation, but because Easter is worth celebrating. Christmas is worth celebrating because it's a precursor to Easter. Think about it. All of the hope we have, all the joy that we'll ever experience, all of the peace that we can know with God, all of the love that we could experience would only last for a short period of time if He hadn't provided us the hope of life. Eternal, lasting life. Christmas is worth remembering because Easter is worth remembering. And so in this final candle, we remember the presentation of of the Christ. We remember that He came and this final candle, the, the candle that represents Jesus' incarnation, reminds us that He came here. Our Savior, our Christ, our Lord, and finally, I believe our Christ Christmas is superior because it reveals God's great glory. Remember, Remember what I the imagine, imagine again that that point in the in the fields as the shepherds stood there and the angel appeared to them and the glory of God shines around them. It's like some mystical light and and I hear people talk about it. I've never seen it. I've I've I've, I've got a friend who says that he has experienced this and that he was actually going to crash in an airplane and he says that the glory of God filled the cockpit and the light began to shine around him from no apparent source and this airplane that should be crashing because it's out of fuel continued to fly for like another 400 miles. It's a crazy story, but I believe the guy. I, I trust him. And this light began to shine. I, I just, I, I want you to imagine sitting in the depths of darkness and light from nowhere, from no apparent source, begins to shine around you. It's the glory of God. I, I don't know any clearer representation than extreme dark being banished by light to know and illustrate what God's glory is. 
You see, because it begins to chase away all shadows. It begins to chase away all darkness. And then these angels, it's not just this one angel, but this multitude of angels appear in the sky with the first one, and they begin to sing glory to God. Glory to God. Because in this moment, in this event, God's glory was made known. Our glorious God and Creator came as Savior, Christ and Lord. His glory is made known. Christ's Christmas is superior. And so I call on you, I challenge you, I I ask you to consider not to throw away the other traditions, but not just to lump Jesus in with them, but to make it the central theme of your celebration. Make it. The, the, everything else you do, build it on this truth that Jesus came. You see, this celebration, it moves us beyond nostalgic feelings and emotions. And it builds its foundation on the very work of God in this world, the very work that He promised to do, the very work that we can in, be sure He is going to complete. And see, as we live in light of Jesus Christ, knowing His love, having experienced His peace, sensing the joy that we can know in Him, and finding Him as our hope. You see, this wells up within us. This wells up within us and should challenge us and and call us to, to think not just about what happened, but what still has to occur. He left, but He's promised He's coming back. And I don't know how you think or how you would want to respond to that. I I don't know what that does inside your heart, but I think Luke gives us some insight into what that might look like to respond to the truth that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in flesh, came to save, came to be our prophet, priest, and king, came to be our Lord. He came here. And He's gone to prepare a place for us. It may, may work itself out a little differently in everybody's life, but I think Luke gives us some insight into what the common theme should be across the board. I'll pick it up in verse 17. Just read real quickly. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. They went and they looked in the manger and all that the angel had said was true. There's a baby there. He's wrapped and in, 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 in laid in a manger. It's true. And they began to spread the word. And they began to tell them, tell others of what the angel had said. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. I think we should stand in awe. He wasn't just God out there. But He came here. But Mary, verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Sometimes we need to sit and we just need to contemplate and think and let the truth of God's presence in this world sit on us. We need to dwell in it. 
we need to consider it, contemplate it, and let it just build up in our hearts and, and, and sit there and change us and, and mold us. And we need to live as these shepherds lived and, and, and just proclaim and be willing to share and worship and praise God for all that He has done. It may work itself out differently day to day. But every day when you go to work, it can be an act of worship. You can, you can give that day to the Lord. You can, you can make it His. You can go as, and be the best employee you can be for His glory. You can sit at home on the weekends and spend that time rather than focusing on whatever it is you want to do. You can, you, you, you can take that time and redeem it and give it to the Lord by spending time with your family or loving on your neighbors or, or giving back and serving Him in some way. You can look at your life and you can recognize all that's wrong in it. And you can thank Him for, your, for, for His grace, for His goodness towards you, even though you probably don't deserve it. A life of gratitude. It, it, may, it may work itself out in many different ways. But I think there should be times we sit quietly and consider what He's done. And I think there are times that we need to boldly proclaim it to our neighbors and to the people we work with and to the people that we, that, that we uh, see in the grocery store and the people that we meet on the street. And I think there are times that we need to sing praises and just stand in awe of who He is and what He's done. Let's pray. Father, you are a good and gracious God and, and we are thankful for sending Your Son. We are grateful that You did not leave us to ourselves. We are, we are moved and honored. Father, in this time of, of an opportunity for us to respond, would You just remind us? Would You show us and put pressure where it needs to be to bring your conviction, not guilt from the people around us, but your conviction. And if there's something that we need to turn from and repent from and just and turn to you, I pray, God, that we would deal with that tonight. Father, I pray that if there's, if there's something in our life that, that is more important to us than, than you and that this celebration and this time of year, and God, God, I pray that we would set it aside and recognize your lordship. Jesus, I, I pray that if there's someone tonight that doesn't know you as their Savior, that they will have heard these words, that you came and took a bullet for them, that you provide a refuge from wrath. I pray, God, send your Spirit on us. Help us to see that you fulfill all the roles we need. You are our word from God, our our. Are the, the spoken and, and living word. You are our prophet. You are our priest, our, our liaison, our connection. And you're our king. And we are your subjects. Would you send your spirit on us now? Show us how to respond. Show us what we need to do in response to all your goodness and all your grace and all your truth. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.